0: The Bob Cordaro Show Podcast.
3: Great good morning everyone. 11 a.m. in Northeast Pennsylvania. This beautiful Thursday, May 18th of 2023. This is the Bob Cordaro Show. I am he. It is a big day to fight for America, defend our values, and honor the brave who have made us and kept us free. So with history, our great founding fathers, and the incomparable Constitution of the United States of America as our guides. Let us continue today's battle. A reminder, this Bob Cadaro show will always be convincingly conservative, lovingly logical, proudly and passionately patriotic, and reliably right. And yes, the double entendre is intended. The Club for Common Sense returns to uh, order after a brief news break adjournment. And we will provide, for the balance of this hour, a sanctuary of sanity for all of you on Appointment Radio, otherwise known as the Bob Cadaro Show. All right, so we want to let you know quickly that this show is being brought to you by Pizza Bella Mountaintop, the home of the zero-carb pizza crust. you got to try it to believe it. Zero-carb pizza crust. Now available at Pizza Bella Mountaintop only, Route 309 in Mountaintop. And then our hourly sponsors, Dunmore Lumber Company. 622 South Blakely Street, Dunmore. Can't beat the convenience. Period. Shop locally. Beat the big box blues. And then the Marjan Golf Course. My niece just took a job up there, so I'm, I'm probably headed up there this weekend. I can't wait. And the food's great, and the course is great. It's the best bargain in local golf. Mount Cobb, PA, the Marjon. I don't think it's a French course, but we call some, when we get fancy, we say we're going to the Marjon. And we are honoring veterans who we lost. Lieutenant Commander Jerry Gallagher, Newport, Rhode Island, formerly of Scranton. Long naval career as an aviator. Martin Yatsko, Scranton, U.S. Marine Corps 60-65. to Became an architect. James Driscoll. Born Wilkesbury, late of New Jersey. U.S. Navy. And he worked various uh, big companies in Jersey and uh, Philadelphia before his passing. Richard Rober of Pittston. Veteran of the U.S. Army. A tree surgeon. He was a tree surgeon. How great is that? Dennis Kirshner. Hanover Township. Drove a taxi, painted houses, veteran of the U.S. Army, and the Coast Guard. We lost all these good people. And, uh, oh, one more. Because he's on the flip side of the paper. Donald Matthews, Honesdale, born Carbondale. U.S. Army from 67 to 70. He was a professional surveyor. And he was also uh, in charge of maintenance up at Wayne County. Good people we lost. And thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all you did for us in the service and at home. So Mark Mix is with us, and we've spoken to him before. And he's with the National Right to Work Foundation. And we talked about the National Labor Relations Board. And how they have tried to tilt the playing field. And I, I, by the way, I'm pro-private union. Pro-private union. I am against slanting the rules to force people to be part of unions when they don't want to be. And I'm against public unions. Government employees unionizing against us. That's the two things that I want to make clear. And I think... Mark, mix that you can share those uh, and appreciate those sentiments.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Bob. And and if you're going to get carb-free pizza, smell of a lumber yard and golf, I'm coming to visit you in Northwest Pennsylvania.
3: <laughs> Northeast, Northeast <now>. East <laughs> Pennsylvania. Yeah, sorry, right. I'll be the wrong side of the state. Oh, and the best yeah, best pizza in the world up here. Now, Mark, you called about a specific subject. We we dealt with a big labor. Uh, a, a big victory against organized labor and this, the cabal that is forcing it upon certain people. Tell us what's on the plate today.
4: Well, Bob, we've got some interesting developments in the Starbucks unionization drive. You know, there's been a lot of media attention about Starbucks and how the baristas are organizing and, and really, the story has been a one-sided story about how aggressive union officials have been, and how bad Starbucks is. And even though a couple of years back they were voted the most progressive employer in America, and everyone was happy with them, and it was like uh, you know the days of uh, Hot Ashbury in, in San Francisco, and uh, you know with flowers and, and and beauty. But now, because the unions are after them. Uh, Starbucks is probably one of the worst employers, according to the media. But the bottom line here is, is that when you look at it in perspective and you take this kind of media production about uh, about unionization, and certainly Joe Biden is doing everything he can and the National Labor Relations Board, as you mentioned, is doing everything they can to tip the balance, tip the scale in favor of compulsory forced unionism, Bob. And that's what we oppose, yeah. is compulsory forced unionism. And unfortunately, that's part and parcel of federal law. But What's happening now is those, those Starbucks units that had unionized and voted for a union in about 12 months ago or 14 months ago are now coming back to the table and saying, you know what, we may want to get rid of these unions. And so we've been involved with a decertification, which is basically saying the workers want to throw the union out in New York. There's two more, one in Buffalo, one in Rochester, New York, to the, north of, well, to the northwest of you a little bit. And, and these workers are looking at it and saying, what the heck did we get ourselves into? I mean, the first thing they had to do was pay forced dues to the union. Uh, that's part of the equation in New York and Pennsylvania, unfortunately. But they're saying, how do we get out? And we're now helping Starbucks employees try to get out of the union that they wanted to get into, or at least the media said they wanted to get into.
3: And it's nothing wrong with, I mean, again, it, it does not, uh, I, I told you I'm pro private unions. I don't have a problem with unionization in private industry, but now here's a case where the employees don't agree with it. And, and now they've got to go through a, a major process to try to decertify the union which isn't doing much for them and is taking their money at the same time. Which uh, union is it?
4: This is this is the Service Employees International Union. Oh, They're what, what a horrible puppeteer. union! They represent. Yeah, yeah. They
3: represent. They've. They will take your money, SEIU, and it's all about a left-wing lunatic agenda for
4: them. They don't even care about the workers at all. Yeah. What a horrible union! Yeah. they're the they're the backbone of all this, the back office operation. The the front group is called Workers United or Starbucks Workers United, but it's funded and it's m- motivated by the Service Employees International oh. Union. And you're right about them, Bob. You're absolutely right. Uh, they're primarily in the in the public sector, uh, the government sector, if you will. They they do some work with in the healthcare industries, but this is a really interesting frontier for them because in this you know in this type of work, whether it be the the, the QSR restaurants, the quick serve restaurants, or or service units like Star. Starbucks, they know that there's a revenue stream here that's really reliable because basically employees at these places don't stay around for that long. There's a pretty significant turnover. So these workers pay initiation fee to the union, then they pay union dues and fees, and then they move along after eight months or 12 months or 24 months. And so the union's not on the hook for any kind of long-term benefits or representation. They just keep turning this over. And you know, it's interesting, Bob, because the first unit that was unionized at Starbucks, the SEIU actually hired a, what they call a union SALT. He's an employee of the union. He gets a job under false pretenses at the, at the company, walks in there and starts starts agitating for unionization, and literally the first person to start this was a Rhodes Scholar hired by the SEIU to go in and infiltrate a Starbucks and start this whole process. <laughs> and, you know, the other part of this, Bob, is really interesting. You know, Starbucks has 15,974 stores in America, of which 9,600 or 9,265 are store- company-owned, the unions have basically organized 301 of these. They've lost 63 or 64 elections. They've withdrawn union petitions in 33. So it's, it's, this is like a 2% penetration. But if you read the headlines, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the boon for organized labor. Yeah. When in fact, it's more of a PR campaign than anything else. And now, as I mentioned, workers are trying to get out. Well,
3: I dealt with SEIU as county commissioner and, all they cared about was left-wing lunatic Democrat politics. That's all they cared. They didn't care about the workers. They didn't care about anything other than that. And I, I feel sorry for anyone who's in that union. We're talking from, with uh, Mark Mix from the National Right to Work Foundation about the Starbucks situation. Well, uh, tell me the role that the National Right to Work Foundation is looking to play in this drama.
4: Well, we actually are representing the workers at a, at a Starbucks rotisserie in New York City. They came to us and asked us for help to try to get out, to how to navigate, to your point, Bob, navigate this kind of lab process for trying to get out. It's easy to get into a union, but it's very difficult to get out. And so what we've done is we've called on the SEIU and the Workers United here, Starbucks Workers United, to basically let these people have a secret ballot election about whether or not they want to continue allowing the union to speak for them in the workplace. What's going to happen probably is the union will file unfair labor practice charges saying that, oh, Starbucks put them up to this, and it will block the election. But hopefully, with our attorneys involved, and we've had great success in this, in fact, Bob, right now, it's more likely that a union or union representative worker today in the United States is more involved, the higher percentage are more involved in decertifying unions, the number of non-union members who are trying to get in. And no one talks about that, but it's a very interesting development. So we're helping workers, and we're reaching out to workers, and workers are reaching out to us to be able to exercise their rights about how to get out and protect their rights vis-a-vis forced unionism.
3: Well, Mark Mix, you keep fighting uh, for what is right when it comes to employees. Uh, The National Right to Work Foundation does great work. Continue fighting, and as I mentioned last time, next time you have something come up, Make sure you give us a call when you have the opportunity. We we love to hear what you're up to.
4: Well, thank you, Bob. And, and if I can get carb-free pizza and smell of a lumberyard and golf, <laughs> um, we'll talk more often, all right?
3: You better believe you can. <laughs> Mark Mix, National Right to Work Foundation, uh, checking in with us on the Starbucks situation that many of you have heard tell, and we're getting the real story. Thank you again. Appreciate it, Bob. All right, we'll take a break. Bob Cadaro, The Eponymous Show, rolls on after this. That's what I was waiting for, that little drum roll. May 18th, 1985, Simple Minds had the number one hit with Don't You Forget About Me. And 1981, this date, the New York native, a newspaper dedicated to issues in the gay community, ran a story concerning rumors of an exotic new disease. Among gay men. It is first published report of what what came to be known as AIDS and just devastating affliction. It still is in Africa, although in one of the few things he, good things he did as president, and I like him, George Bush, the son, uh embarked upon a program in Africa which brought a great deal of relief to the AIDS epidemic over there. But it was so scary. Nobody knew what it was caused, how it could be spread. The gay rights were in such nascent stages then that a lot of people feared that, you know, this AIDS and how it was spread, and all those kinds of things would explode upon the gay community in, in discriminatory ways. Yeah, that was they were dark days. They were dark days back then. All right. Uh, Laureen Cummings is on the line. And, uh, Laureen, you fought the good fight. You ran a good race. It just didn't work out this time.
1: That's right. And uh, I'm so proud of all the people that worked on my team. I'm, I'm so grateful for all the support that I did receive. And, uh, I'm an issues girl, as everybody knows. And our team was very, very effective in getting those issues out there. Uh, increased taxes is not a good idea. Neither is a medical building and there are changes that happened because of our messaging. So I'm proud of our team. I'm proud of the Republicans that worked in both parties. Uh, in the Democrat and Republican parties. I'm proud of everybody that ran. Uh, good job. Good luck in the future in the general election. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to some of the things that I'm seeing. So I'm, I'm so happy that uh, the people that supported me uh, worked so hard and got those messages out. And I thank WIOK and you for always getting the conservative message out that is always effective no matter what. And I'm very proud of, of our teams that did that.
3: Well, you've, uh, Laureen, you've played a big role since Tea Party days in, yep. <laughs> in, in bringing conservative thought uh, and ideas and concepts to a heavily Democrat and traditionally, uh, well, almost actually to the point of insanity, a traditionally <laughs> Democrat area. So uh, you're, yourself, you'll be uh, uniting behind the Republican ticket. And, and they, I'll tell you if they, if the Republican unite with the, uh, well, if they unite, they've got a shot this fall.
1: Well, you know, I have to say that I'm so glad that this campaign turned out the way it did because, you know, a lot of the times you get all these arrows going back and forth and the previous campaign I ran was like that. It was horrible. This one was not. And I was very happy with that. And, uh, you know i am I'm, I'm happy that uh, some republicans learned their lesson and didn't really do that again so that was a good thing and you know i think that there could be a different result this time so we'll see
3: well lorene cummings i uh i am happy you ran and i'm happy you brought your issues to the fore and i know you'll always continue to do that uh yes. I, I i remember distinctly i came on this this very radio station with sue henry the day after we lost the election in 2007, and I mm. told her, I said, "The good news is, or the bad news is, we lost the election. The good right. news is, we lost the election."
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the case yet. It's just that I lost. <laughs> I mean I just said to myself, I
3: don't have to campaign anymore. I don't have to be a county commissioner. I told, she was news. so shocked. <laughs> she was so shocked. I said, I, I told her, I said. Yeah, I don't like losing, but right. I don't have a problem not being in office or campaigning anymore. I really don't. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs>
1: that's difficult. Isn't that hard? It's oh, really hard. it's crazy hard.
3: stuff. Crazy stuff.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, you're you're still here messaging, and I, I find that awesome because, <laughs> you know, you are a voice that we need out there. And, you know, that's the way I feel about myself. I think that we have to keep the message going no matter what. You never give up. Never, ever give up. Yeah, always get the issues out there. Make sure the people know what's happening. And that's all we can do. That's the best we can do. Well, uh, and what they decide from there is their decision. Laureen,
3: uh, you will still be uh, the first woman elected county commissioner in Lackawanna County ever and uh, i'm honored by your call and uh, shows a lot of graciousness you, and uh, and uh, tells people a lot about you so that's great and keep in touch with us any issue Will that do. strikes your fancy you call
1: in we'll do thanks so much and thanks for all you do have all a great right. day take care thanks.
3: we're going to go to the weather mark margavich margavich is back with us from edwardsville and he's our climatologist and i he brings a unique point of view And he loves science and he loves the weather. And we're going to talk to him after these messages.
2: and the weather.
3: Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from meteorologist Joe Snedeker. Today, a frosty start. We had it. Sunny, though, and it'll be about 67 degrees for a high. Tonight, clear, low of 45. Tomorrow, sunny, high of 70. Saturday, cloudy with showers possible later in the day. The high will be 68. And then Sunday and Monday, partly sunny, high of 73. And that tells me it's time to go to the market. If you got home improvement projects, you go to Dunmore Lumber. And if you if you have time on your hands to, to enjoy yourself, you go to the Margine Golf Course in Montcob. My niece will be working up there this weekend. You say hello to her and just have a good time and eat some good food. Have a couple of cocktails. It's just a gr- it's the best bargain in golf. The best bargain in golf. Period. All right, so we said Mark Mark Margavage, who we were talking to last hour, is with us, and he's a climatologist. Give me, what official title would you give yourself, Mark? Because your knowledge is encyclopedic.
5: I'm actually a meteorologist. I'm not a climatologist. Okay. Uh, I have a, a view on the field of climatology that, says it's interesting. I have a vested interest in this being a meteorologist, but I think it's a developing field. Certainly they don't have all the answers and I wouldn't claim to have all the answers myself. Uh, as a meteorologist, I'm, I'm just here, I'm going to point some things out today. I'm not sure if you have the same audience that you did as you did earlier. So I'll just hit the high notes of what I already introduced, Please, the uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton airport, Today, so uh, coldest May 18th temperature ever. Uh, you may you may not hear a lot about cold temperatures with the uh, warming climate. It is warming globally, but for the U- U.S. specifically, since 1895, the uh, temperature is basically on average the same as it was in 1895, and since 2005. For the U.S., not the globe as a whole, but for the U.S. specifically, the temperature has gone down by 0.67 degrees Fahrenheit since January of 2005. The warmest temperature uh, globally ever recorded was in 1936, and specifically for the U.S., 1936 was the warmest it's ever been. Uh, The coldest for the U.S. Uh, was in 1979. So those are the highlights of what I already introduced. My major problem with the IPCC and governments around the world formulating their policies based on these predictions and for by the decades way, and hurting, down the line.
3: And hurting real people.
5: Yeah. Th- my problem is that just in the last month, we have discovered 19,000 previously unknown active underwater volcanoes. As you may or may not know, much of the ocean floor is completely unmapped. We know less about the ocean floor on the Earth than we do about the surface of Mars. Hmm. Very little of the ocean floor has been mapped, and as we map more of it, we uncover more data we reveal more volcanoes we didn't know were there and as we do that we get more and more of a data set to inform our hypotheses on what is driving the warming climate mark mark now, if you look at a graph- let, let,
3: let me ask you this question you've pointed this out to this audience before that these it's a significant component of warming oceans these volcanoes. And so now there's 19,000 new volcanoes. You'd already talked to us months ago about others and how they contribute to the warming of the ocean. Are are the, the global climatologists and the globalists who are in charge, so, uh, so to speak, of like a John Kerry and these clowns, are they absorbing these realities and... Putting them into their hypotheses, I don't see it.
5: I seriously doubt it. And the reason I say that is because if you look at a a graph, which I have sent you on Facebook, if you look at a graph and you compare the graph of CO2 since 1895, you see it's following an exponentially increasing curve as we pump more and more CO2 into the atmosphere. The concentration of CO2 increases. But if you overlay the temperature graph since 1895 with that same graph of CO2, you if CO2 were driving the temperatures up, you would expect that the temperature graph would increase along with that CO2 graph. You don't see that. This, the temperature graph since 1895 is relatively flat. There are some ups and downs along the way. But on average, the temperature in the United States States specifically is about the same now as it was in 1895 which is about 52 degrees the average temperature for the entire united states
3: that's remarkable that, that that's, now, ocean that's an, that's temperatures an amazing warming that's a stark yeah. fact though that that it's never discussed why can't they discuss i mean you're you 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 read all the literature and the and and see what the data is and what they ignore and what they choose to input why would you ignore these very salient facts my best guess is
5: that there's some financial interest that stands to gain from these policies being implemented they're not rooted in the state-of-the-art science, It's it just not in my opinion. Now, maybe you could find somebody out there who will disagree with me and provide some evidence to the contrary. But as much as I've done my research in trying to understand this climate crisis narrative, I can't find any supporting data for
3: it. And they, I mean, they would come across the same information you're discovering. It's unavoidable because it's there. It's sitting there.
5: Yeah, there's a a very well-respected journal. has published this recent research article on these 19,000 underwater volcanoes. It was published in in the Physics Research Journal. You can find it at phys.org if your readers want to search on this, 19,000. Uh, volcanoes you'll likely be able to find this research article, but i don't hear the news reporting on it yeah, why? why is this not like uh, hey the w- when the temperature in California gets to hundred degrees, we hear about it on the nightly news. they discovered nineteen thousand previously unknown underwater active volcanoes and
3: is anybody else talking about it but me? I don't I haven't heard anybody. We're talking with uh, Mark Margavage uh, from Edwardsville, but he's a uh, meteorologist who studies and has been studying not only weather but the climate and all of those matters related to it. Mark, if you could hang on for a little bit, we got to go to a break. Uh, and then uh, after Frank Sinatra sings and Gerard Mayer sings, uh, we'll continue the discussion if you're available. Sure thing. All right. We'll take this break, and then we will be back with Mark Margavage. The facts regarding weather and climate when we come back. We're back. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Gerard. Quarter to three in uh, the morning in Guadalcanal. Bob Cadarro back with you, and uh, we're honoring Dennis Kirshner, Richard Rober, James Driscoll, Martin Yasko, Donald Matthews, and Jerry Gallagher, veterans who we lost recently today here on the Bob Cadaro Show. And we're speaking with Mark Margavage. He is from Edwardsville. He is a meteorologist, but he knows a hell of a lot about the climate And he 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 consults with us and talks to us on issues of this uh, in this area. And Mark Markavich, you were saying that all of these new data points and I've been arguing this for years, like they, they just don't input new information when Joe Snedeker does our weather or Valerie Smock, there could, whatever new information comes in, they input it to their models. We're not seeing that in the climate uh, game, in, and I call it the climate scam. And I, I, I just don't understand why you mentioned it could be pecuniary interests. I mean, people have a, a, a money to make. Is there a, maybe also have you detected like a, a, a pride and a stubbornness? I mean, that's human nature. Yeah,
5: I've had some interactions with some high-ranking climatologists on Twitter, and I I never walked away from those interactions with a positive feeling about the state state of research, even. I mean, there's this narrative that's being pushed without really any consideration for the updated data points, as you say. When I was in Pe- when I was at Penn State back in the early two thousands, Dr. Michael Mann came to visit uh, the Penn State Meteorology Department and was pushing his hockey stick hypothesis, where he hypothesized that global temperatures were going to look like a hockey stick going straight to the moon, and that just hasn't happened. It's, you know, it's almost twenty years later; that has not happened.
3: I and I I, I don't know. I'm I'm. All right, give us the short version. You talked about these volcanoes, underground volcanos, vo- volcanoes about the warming of the oceans, which they point to as one yeah, of the so critical what I was trying problems. to get to What I was trying to
5: get to before the break was if you want to believe that atmospheric CO2, methane, the greenhouse gases are to blame for global temperatures rising, then what you would expect to see is that the surface of the ocean all around the world would be equally rising because it's being fed from above. The heat is coming from above, from the atmosphere into the ocean. That's not what the ocean temperature profile is showing us. The, te- the, the heat is coming from below, and it's coming to the surface where it's then released to the atmosphere. So the ocean that is actually warming
3: the atmosphere. <laughs> the o-
5: Right. The oceans are warming the atmosphere, not the other way around.
3: And that's but so these significant. These scientific policies
5: are acting as if CO2 is driving
3: the warming. It's not. And you had touched on the fact that CO2 levels have increased, but the temperatures in the United States they, have not.
5: increased dramatically over the last hundred
3: years or so, but temperatures have not. What What conclusion... Or at least a supposition would you take from the fact that, the, that carbon dioxide has increased, but the temperature has not?
5: The best scientific hypothesis I've come across is that there's a saturation point. So if you think about the way that CO2 enters into the atmosphere, it's going since it's denser than the rest of the atmosphere, it's going to build up near the surface. That's where we live. So initially, as that CO2 is building up at the surface, we start to see a warming effect because there's CO2 that wasn't there before. But eventually, there's no more. You can't pack any more CO2 in at the surface. It starts to get. It starts to accumulate higher up in the atmosphere. Well, that CO2 that's higher up in the atmosphere doesn't have nearly the same effect on the surface as the CO2 does at the surface. So there comes a point where you can add more and more CO2 and really not see much of an increase at the surface with regard to temperatures.
3: Now, let, so us, let us not be guilty of what the uh, climate alarmists are doing. Does this buildup of carbon dioxide have a, its own danger separate and apart from the climate, or is it just a benign factor that comes and goes? Well... I guess
5: if you trapped yourself in a room and increased the CO2 level to infinite to infinity, eventually there'd come a point where you suffocated. But I mean, we're never going to get to that point in the earth's climate system. What, what happens as you increase CO2 is that you get more plant growth across the world. And what, that's what we've seen. The earth has greened over the last 50 to 75 years. There's way more plant growth across the earth. And as plants grow, they release more oxygen into the air, and it becomes a cycle. So, I was pointing out the other
3: day, I said not only from the standpoint of food, but from the standpoint of our very existence, carbon dioxide is absolutely necessary. You can't have plant life without it. (laughs) Yep. Anyone
5: who's ever grown plants in a greenhouse knows that if you have a higher CO2 concentration in the greenhouse the plants grow better so you know there's a there's a trade-off there between if you don't have enough co2 then temperatures are too cold you don't have enough plants you get more co2 temperatures warm but only in my opinion here they warm to a point which i think we're way beyond that point yeah we saw a little bit of warming there between 1945 and 2005, I would argue that's largely driven by uh, military emissions. The 40s saw World War II. Then we saw Vietnam. Yeah,
3: yeah, major conflict.
5: Major conflicts all around the world. After 2005, major conflicts started to decline, although emissions didn't really decline. Temperatures haven't increased since 2005, though. Mark, we've got to to go, my friend.
3: Thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Well, Springsteen had the number four album this date in 1985 with Born in the USA. We figured good way to wrap it up. Thanks to Mark Margavage and Mark Mix. Mark Mix is the National Right to Work Foundation. And uh, Mark Margavage, our resident meteorologist slash climatologist and climate observer. Who we want to thank again, the families, Martin Yatsko, Scranton, United States Marine Corps, 60 to 65. James Driscoll, late of New Jersey, but from Wilkesbury, U.S. Navy. Richard Rober, Pittston, U.S. Army, a tree surgeon. Dennis Kirshner, Hanover Township, served in both the U.S. Army and the U.S. Coast Guard. Lieutenant Commander Jerry Gallagher, late of Newport, Rhode Island, originally from Scranton, Lieutenant Commander in the Navy and a naval aviator. Donald Matthews, Honesdale, born Carbondale, U.S. Army 67 to 70, land surveyor. We lost them. And as Dickens said, we may never see their like again. Guys, have a great afternoon. It's a beautiful day. Maybe go to the Marjon. I'll talk to you tomorrow, God willing. Have a great day. go Y News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show
4: Podcast.